Amen. Wow, it's loud. There we go. Good morning. Happy St. Patrick's Parade Day. It's exciting. Yeah. Wow. It's great. Um, so, that is a long piece of text that we are going to work through. We're going to work through all of that this morning, which is why I wanted Stephen to read it in advance, because I'm not going to read all of that. So, if you have a Bible, you can open it. Bible. At one point, I was sharing about who Jesus is with someone, and, uh, and I had my Bible, and she said, could I just touch your Bible? I'm like, okay. You know, and I let her touch the Bible. She's like, I've never touched the Bible before. Um, so if, if that's you, if you don't own a Bible, please take one. In the church, it's not considered stealing when you take a Bible. Take our computer, yes, it's stealing. Um, Bible, no, please grab one on your, on your way out. Or you can grab one now. Or we'll be in Mark chapter uh, 12. And essentially, this is the last few days of Jesus' life. There's a few more chapters to go, but uh, these last chapters are the last few days of Jesus' life. And this is kind of like what people are going to remember him by. This is what he's doing. He wants everything that he's been teaching over the past three-ish years to have these boil-down moments, these long-tweet moments, right? That this is the essence of what I came for and what I am all about. Jesus had these followers that were following him into uh, Jerusalem because that's where Jesus ultimately was going to give up his, his life on a cross uh, for us. Um, but he has all these followers and he's... He's called people from all kinds of different professions, uh, men and women, boys and girls, uh, the rich and poor. He kept calling people, follow me, follow me, follow me. And they were. And there were 12 in particular that were following him as his specific disciples, but he had many disciples. But if you're a follower of Jesus, and today, if you're a follower of Jesus, or you're saying, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Um, you probably have lots of questions, specifically the question I just asked, what does it mean? to actually be a follower of Jesus. And at Church 21, we're going to do a series on this later on in the year, uh, but our, our tagline is that we want to forge followers of Jesus. We want to forge followers of Jesus. Forging is a very painful process where something not so beautiful becomes beautiful. And that's what Jesus wants to do with His people. He wants to take us from being unlovely enemies of Him and make us very lovely uh, beings in His family. But this is the main question for us as well. If I'm following Jesus, where am I actually following Him to? What am I supposed to be becoming? Where am I going? And it also brings this idea of unfollowing all else. So imagine if I said to you, I, I have a Twitter account that I never look at, um, so could be missing you know, three tweets about me or something. Um, maybe. Right? It's probably scams anyway. But imagine if I said, yeah, you can follow me, but the thing is you have to unfollow everyone else. All your other allegiances, all your other, not information just for information's sake, but all of your worship, all of your attention, all of your focus, all of your allegiance has to leave those other people you're following and be on me. That's the type of thing that Jesus is calling His people to. And so the question that we sit with as we work through this massive text rather rapidly is where is Jesus leading me? Where does Jesus want to lead me? Where does Jesus want to take us in the 21st century? Now, it's an interesting chapter to do this. Uh, the end of Mark 11, which Jeff was sharing uh, last week when he was here, uh, Jesus' authority was being challenged. So if you didn't get to catch that, you can listen to it at another point in the podcast. But Jesus' authority is being challenged. By what authority do you do this? And Jesus actually didn't tell them by what authority he did it because they didn't believe. And Jesus is saying, if you're not willing to believe in me and, and track with me and follow me, I don't want to tell you by whose authority I'm doing this. And so then we get into chapter 12, and Jesus begins to challenge all the religious leaders around him. By what authority do you do what you're doing? And so we're going to benefit from this passage today. And he starts out in, in Mark 12, verse 1 to 12, with a parable a story, and we did a series on parables during COVID, and a parable is a story, but it's, it's a it's story with deeper meaning. It's like a walnut, right? How many of you have eaten a walnut? Great. Um, if you're allergic to walnuts, maybe you're not with us anymore. I don't know. But how many of you have eaten the walnut shell? No, none of us, right? Because you have to crack that thing to get what's actually good in there. And that's what Jesus would do with parables. 
He would say, I'm going to give you this walnut, but for you to actually know what's going on, you have to be willing to do the work to dig, ask questions about this. And so he starts this parable, and the parable is that a man buys a vineyard, and he gets the whole thing, right? Buys the whole vineyard, sets up all the vines, uh, gets a, a wine press, and he, he intends to produce something out of this. But then he finds people that were looking for a vineyard and a wine press and this whole business, and he leases it out to them. But the vineyard is still all his, isn't it? Everything that happens in that vineyard ultimately is his, unless they made an agreement otherwise. He leases to the tenants, still all his. And then at one point, he sends servants and says, go back and get some fruit from my vineyard. Why would he do that? Because it's his. It's like me saying to the kids, go get something from the refrigerator. They're like, well, actually, we took up this lease agreement with Electrolux, and you don't actually own the fridge. It's like, be quiet, go get me something from my fridge, right? This is actually my stuff. And so, he sends these servants, all right, go get some of my stuff. And I'm overemphasizing the my stuff on purpose. Go get some of my stuff. Go get some of my fruit from my vineyard. My stuff. And then when the tenants who had leased the place, when they see the servant coming, and, and I'm just going to skip the fact that he sent a servant and a servant and servant, and many servants it says, they, they beat some of them, the tenants beat some of them, and killed others. Why did they do that, do you think? You see, I think they had confused the idea of renting with owning. That they got to use the things for a time, but that this wasn't theirs. They couldn't do whatever they wanted with this. It was a tenant-owner arrangement. Ultimately, they wanted to keep what wasn't theirs. And then we see in uh, chapter 12, verse 6, well, the owner still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, well, at least they'll respect my son. So the son is sent, and then we see in verse 7 what happens. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, killed him, threw him out of the vineyard. Now, maybe they thought because the owner never kept showing up, he kept sending people, that maybe the owner was actually dead. And so they thought in their mind, ah, this is the heir, he's come. If we kill him, we get all of the owner's stuff and we get to keep that for ourselves. And actually, in Jesus' day, during this time, there were squatter rights. If you were leasing a place and the owner died and there was no heir, you got the place. And so probably legitimately, they're thinking for themselves, if we can just remove everyone who might have any sort of claim over this, we will get it. The big idea in all of this is that they were killing for stuff of someone else. They were killing people and beating people for the stuff of someone else. They thought that themselves, that they were the owner. But then what we find later on in verse 9, what will the owner of the vineyard do? Well, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. The owner is going to come and destroy them and give to others what they were killing other people for. This is a pretty intense story. Why was Jesus telling this story? The leaders, the religious leaders who were challenging Jesus' authority in that day, they were, the, they were the tenants. They were the ones who were renting the vineyard. They had been given something by God to take care of and steward, meaning God's people. And they were using God's people and God's stuff for themselves. Putting themselves in this platform saying, this is all ours. We can do whatever we want with it. We'll beat those that we want. We'll kill those that we want. We'll organize this whole thing in such a way that we benefit. And don't we hate those types of religious institutions? We're a few people at the top. Everything is just trickling upward, it seems, for their benefit. And then Jesus says that God is going to judge you. God is going to judge you. Now we're not these specific religious leaders, so how would this text actually apply to us? Why do we need this? Why do we need this text? 
Well, what do we do when God sends His message to us? What do we do when God brings His message or His messenger to us? Because the owner was really clear. The owner wasn't coming. He was sending a messenger to bring a message to these tenants. And they beat the messengers and they killed the messengers so that they could keep what they wanted unrightly and unjustly. But what do we do when God sends His message to us? There's a whole host of things that we can do with it, can't we? What do we do when God sends His message to us? What do we do when He sends His message to us, especially when it focuses in on His stuff? Meaning, I want for you to take these years and I want you to do this with it. I want you to take this degree and I want you to do this with it. I want for you to take all the big dreams that you had about doing these things and I want you to set those aside because I want you to do something else completely. What do you do when God sends His message to you, especially when it involves His stuff and wasn't what you thought that you were going to be doing with the rest of your life? What do you do with that? As a young child, I did not dream of coming to Canada. I did not dream of learning French. I did not dream of living in the city. In fact, oftentimes it's really hard to live in the city. Uh, it, it would be much easier, it seems at times, to leave the city and go do something somewhere else, especially during COVID. It, it, I don't know where that music is coming from. Parade? We're, okay, here's the deal. We're going to embrace all distractions today. Okay, I am probably the most distractible person in this room. We're just going to own all the distractions that come our way. Back to Montreal. It, it would have been really easy to leave the city. And yet I know without a doubt that we as a family are supposed to be here in this city. So there are a couple options that I can do that. I can fight God on it. And I can say, no, we're not going to be here. We're going to go somewhere else. We're going to do whatever we want to do. Um, or we can embrace it. Okay, this is not exactly what we thought. This is not the way it was going to go down in our minds. But we're going to embrace this. We're going to do this because you are most important to me. Not where I live. Not the friends I have. Not the vocation. But you. I want, I want you primarily. But yet so often, we act like the tenants. We try and beat the messenger. Or we try and snuff out the message. We try and remove it so that we can just go on living the life that we want to live. And sometimes we even go to Scripture and we play around with Scripture because honestly, you can, you can kind of make the Bible say whatever you want the Bible to say. If you try hard enough, you can make the Bible say almost whatever you want it to say. You can twist enough verses together to appease your own conscience and say, ah yes, I'm obeying. When in reality, you're doing exactly the opposite. You've been on a path of disobedience the whole time to make the Bible say what you want it to say. So that in your mind you think, ah, I can stand before God and say, yes, I'm following what your Word has to say. It has to say. But you and I know when we're not doing that. You and I know when we're not doing that. We know when we're snuffing out that message like these leaders did, these servants that were coming. You see, it's so easy to forget that what we have isn't ours. It's so easy to forget that what we have isn't ours. Your time, it's not yours. Your mask, that's not even yours. I don't want it, but it's not yours. The chairs, not yours. This time, not yours. None of it. You don't own any of it. And that's a sobering reality. But yet, we can look at life a completely different way if we're a steward of everything then we'll go to God and say, what do you want me to do with this? I have breath today. I have emotions that are mostly positive today. I have a desire for certain things. I have money. I have time. Like, God, what do you want me to do with this? Because it's not up to me, it's up to you. In this spirit-led life that so many of us want to, want to live if we're followers of Jesus is one that we keep saying, God, here are your resources again. Show me what to do with them. That so many of us, I, I like to plan like long-term, but so many of those long-term plans have gotten destroyed in the present because I find out that that thing I was planning on wasn't actually what God had for me. It wasn't evil. It wasn't wicked in and of itself. But yet God changed the game in a sense, and, and I wanted to play His game, not mine. And this is our invitation from Him as well. You see, the thing with things, I don't know if you've seen the movie Fight Club. I don't know if I endorse Fight Club or not. Um, 
But the, the quote is, the things you own end up owning you. The things you own end up owning you. And that can be so true that we forget that we're stewards, we're servants, and we think that we actually own this. It's a temptation to think, ah, this is my church. Sometimes pastors talk about churches as my church. But it's not my church, it's Jesus' church, and we all have a role in it. None more important than anyone else within the church. But Jesus, here's what he wants to do with us. Jesus wants to lead us into hearing from God. Not to snuff out the messenger and the messages that come, but he wants to lead us into actually hearing from God. You can hear from God. Did you know that? That God wants to actually speak to you. It's not about coming and hearing a sermon on a Sunday, but God wants to speak to you often. He wants to speak to you through his word. He wants to speak to you by his spirit. He wants to speak to you through other people, that God is a God who is speaking. It's amazing. It's quite astounding that he wants to speak to us and help us hear from God. But Jesus doesn't want to stop there. He wants to reorder our lives. He wants to reorder our lives and our hearts as he wants. And that's really the long work of life, isn't it? Constantly taking our heart, submitting it to him, and saying, please, do your work. You know, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, not what I want, but what you want. And this is illustrated by another encounter in the text. Chapter 12, verse 13 to 17, where these Pharisees and Herodians come to trap Jesus in the talk. And the question is, the question is, um, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not Jesus? Right, so I'm moving through the text pretty rapidly. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And then we see Jesus' response in verse 17. Jesus said to them, Well, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. What are the things? Now, we don't have Caesar, right? But we have a prime minister, and we have governments. We have kingdoms in this world. And this is what Jesus is getting at. So what would be Caesar's? Right? We have taxes. We have a census. We have certain things that we have to do because we're citizens of Canada or whatever um, nation you're a citizen of. Jesus is saying, be, be a citizen in that way. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But the bigger idea is to give to God the things that are God's. And part of the, the thing that was going on in that day was that Caesar actually thought himself a god. There was worship, imperial worship of Caesar that was happening. And Jesus is saying, no, give taxes to Caesar, but don't you dare bend your knee to him. Give your worship and allegiance and devotion to God. And they were marveling at this. And Jesus is saying, because you are gods. You are gods. The, the two kingdoms will never fully come together, but there are ways that we can exist as citizens of Canada and citizens of the kingdom of God, but one day we're no longer going to be citizens of Canada. One day we'll only be citizens in the kingdom of God. Now, why does Jesus tell this little, this little story? Or why does he get into this engagement with these religious leaders? Was it so we had a verse to pay taxes? When some of you are like, what's taxes? I'm trying to evade. I'm like, no, I've got a verse for you. You're supposed to render to, to Justin what's Justin's, right? It's not that. It's not that. But it's the fact that of what Jesus just said in the parable prior. It's that we're constantly trying to keep or take what we weren't meant to keep or take. You see, keeping back from Caesar, cheating on your taxes, means that you don't believe that God will provide. When you don't give generously, it's because you don't believe that God is going to provide. That in your heart, you say, okay, no, I believe that God could forgive me. I believe that God could provide for me. I believe that God could give me a church. I believe all these things, but I don't believe that God could give me $41, right? I'm going to harbor that $41 from the government, or I'm going to harbor this $3 from the church. I'm going to keep that because, dang it, who's going to buy my latte? And, and we joke about it, but yet that's true. That's the way our heart works. That we try and keep the things that we weren't meant to keep. 
there, when, when, when God brought his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, uh, he provided manna. Now manna means what is it, right? And so he provided this bread, this flaky bread that would fall every day and they would have to go and collect it. But at first they didn't believe, God said do this six days out of the week, the seventh day, just gather enough on the sixth day for both days. They didn't believe that that was going to happen. And so they, 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 kept, they kept more than they should have on day four because they didn't think God was going to provide on day five. And what actually ended up happening was that manna was rotting in their tents because they were keeping things that they weren't meant to keep. They were taking things they weren't meant to take. God gives us things for us to steward and then redistribute so that His kingdom keeps moving forward. You see, us keeping things back is a worship problem. That oftentimes we find that we're worshiping ourselves as the providers and protectors of our little kingdoms. That we have to cheat our way through life. God couldn't provide a place in a company where we could have influence. We have to, we have to climb our way to the top over people, destroying people's lives, doing whatever we need to do so we can finally be in a place of influence. But that's just not how God's kingdom works. It's a worship problem when we're keeping things that we weren't meant to keep and taking things in ways that we weren't meant to take them. But what Jesus does, remember we're looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus leads us to hear from God, but Jesus also wants to lead us to give our hearts completely to God. This means all allegiance to Him. This means all motives. I want for you to lead my motives, Jesus. This means that all habits, Jesus, I want for you to rework the habits in my life so that I am enjoying you. Not just showing up at church on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning or not just showing up at Citigroup on a Thursday or Monday night or whenever your group meets. Jesus wants so much more for you. He wants to infiltrate deeper than COVID can ever go. Right? Jesus wants for His Good news to virally get inside of us and take over everything. You know, I'm thinking like Wolverine and X-Men right now, where like he's bathed in like it just takes over him in every way, shape, and form, transforming him into something that he can't transform out of. That's what Jesus does. It's not making you a good little boy or girl. It's, it's making you, taking you from being dead and making you alive. It's transformation that takes place. And so the question I want to ask is, what would change if Jesus moved into you like that? Like, what would change? Let, let's go less abstract. Your house, your apartment, your, your place. What would change if Jesus moved into that place this week? And you were viscerally aware that Jesus is here. We believe that He is. But if you were reminded of that all the time, what would change uh, about your life? What would change about your life? I, I would ask him for help with a lot of things. Right? I heard someone asking this question recently, and she's like, I would ask him to hold my child. Because <laughs> right? you're here. I need you to take care of this child so I can go care for the other children who are probably killing one another in the other room. Right? But maybe some of the things we would watch would be different. Maybe some of the things we do with our money would be different. Maybe we would spend our time differently. But it's not to guilt us into it. It's to say that there's something greater that's living, in fact, someone greater that's living with you and in you and in your house. And He wants to know you. And He wants, he wants for you to know Him and to enjoy Him. You see, I think we would reorient our lives all about Him if He was in our house. I'm sure I would be out today. Yesterday I was out helping. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but I would be going through my neighborhood today saying, Jesus is at my house. Come eat brisket today. Jesus, or corned beef. Um, Jesus is at my house. We're having boiled dinner, right? All of life would reorient around him. But we don't live that way because so often we don't believe that he's in our house. We don't believe that he's with us. And again, it's not, it's not to guilt us, it's to awaken us to the greater reality of what He wants for us. That Jesus wants to lead us into living all of life with Him. He cares that you don't sleep enough. He cares that you're having a hard time emotionally. He cares that you're grieving the loss of someone. 
He cares that you got promoted. He cares where you, like, He cares about all that stuff. Jesus wants to lead us into living all of life with Him. And this brings us to the next scene with the next religious leader. Let me read it. Chapter 12, 28 to 31. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, well, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You know, simply put, without having to explain all of that, Jesus wants to lead us into loving God completely. Like I said, Jesus cares about all those things. Jesus wants to lead us into loving God completely and that God would have a place in every single segment of your life. And then, He wants to lead us into loving our neighbors as ourselves. See, following Jesus, where is He leading us? Jesus is not leading us to a better me. So many of us probably think about Jesus often as just making, it's, it's individual. It's about me because all of, the, all of the marketing we get in life is about me or you individually. And so we think about Jesus as Jesus is just making a better me. But this, what he says, the greatest commandment, the greatest thing is not about you being a better you. It's about you being tapped in in relationship with the only one that matters and then that you're flooded your life is flooded, and this is a great time of year to talk about flooding in Montreal, right? That your life is flooded with the goodness of God so much so that your neighbors get to benefit from it because you're not thinking about yourself only. You're also thinking about them equally. You see, Christianity is radical in that way. It's not the religion of put your oxygen mask on first, then care for other people. It's put it on at the same time. It's loving people the same way that you love yourself. And this isn't perform and God will love you. It's that Jesus has performed perfectly, put his spirit into you, and he gives you these desires now. That he makes you want to love your neighbors this way. He's not saying do it. He's making our hearts want to do it. You see, it's a complete change of heart. Your neighbors get to benefit from Jesus flooding your life and then him commissioning you to go and give it away. Uh, yesterday, yeah, flooding is real in Montreal. If you haven't been here during a winter, the thaw that you're like, yay, spring is coming. Everyone is like, get your buckets in your basement at this time. And uh, yesterday, uh, our neighbor, one of our neighbors, their, their, um, their basement was slowly flooding. And so we played that game a few weeks ago, and now it's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to play that game uh, with you. But Jess and I were hanging out with our friends yesterday, hanging out, and we saw all these trucks from the city coming, and I'm like, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure they have it. And yet Jesus was giving me a message, go love your neighbor. I'm like, okay, but I, I want to have fun. We're about to play a game. <laughs> go love your neighbor. You, you need to know this about me as well. Um, I, I use, Jesus usually has to fight with me. I'm not the guy that's just like, oh, yes, Lord, whatever you want, I will do that, right? It, it's a fight to get to that place. It's a fight. So it's like, no, I want to go in the hot tub. He's like, no hot tub, neighbors. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, but w after we play his game, like, no game, neighbors. I'm like, okay, fine. So I brought my friend, uh, Trenton, uh, was over yesterday. So Trenton and I go over, and I'm just like, hey, is everything okay? All good? Hoping for them to say, yeah, all good. And then I could just go back. And one of the women said, actually, no, I just fell, and, uh, and I might have broken my elbow. And I'm like, ah, oh, that probably means I'm staying. Okay, all right, are you okay? Like, what can I do? And then, uh, then she said, oh, go around the back. My, my partner's out back, and uh, you can look at things back there. And there was a city worker that was there. This is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. Um, they had a little pump about this big, right? It's probably to pump up like your inflatable bed when you go camping. A little pump about that big. A, um, a hose on one side that was about this long and another hose that was about this long and they were taking water that was going to their basement from here and putting it here. And I said to them, what, what are you doing? 
They're like, oh, we're pumping it out. I'm like, that's going to go right back there. So it's like, okay, we have to go get sandbags. We have to uh, buy hose. We have, like, all of a sudden it became this project. And yet that, pr- I'm not sharing that, so you can be like, oh, good job, Dwight, way to go. I already told you, I fought with Jesus about it. Um, but at the end, it's like, oh, Jesus served me so well. If Jesus were in my neighborhood, he would come and he would help me deal with my basement. Jesus is living in me. Jesus loves you. If I want Jesus to take care of my basement, he's going to take care of your basement. He's just going to do it through Trenton and I. And that's a very small example, isn't it? But that's the life that we're constantly called to live. And I've heard so many of you caring for your neighbors in similar or greater ways. Don't try and do that as like, oh, I want for God to be proud of me, so whose basement can I go and and pump out? Stare at God. Allow for his glory and love to change you so that you want to start doing these things. He transforms us into loving people that we don't really even know like we would love ourselves. Religion does not do that. Religion says, I'm going to do this so that people look at me and say, wow, what a guy. Or, wow, I could never be like him. Or God would say, oh, my goodness. Neighbor over hot tub, who would have thunk it? Right? That's what religion does. And that is a miracle when you choose to pump out a basement instead of getting in a hot tub, right? You know the Spirit's working when those type of things happen. I just got to keep moving. I want to talk about that more, but I'm going to keep moving. Because the next scene actually shows what loving God and others looks like and what it doesn't look like. Listen to this. In chapter 12, verse 38 to 40. In his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes. Okay, Beware of these religious leaders who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. They have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayers, well, they will receive the greater condemnation. These leaders had a platform for devouring others. It was like going to people in times of need. Imagine yesterday I go to my neighbor's house and I say, hey, I see that the situation is really bad here, but you know what? If you just gave me seed money of $1,000, God will bless you. Garbage. Yeah. And this is the message that gets propagated throughout the world as good news. If you just give God your money and your stuff and you send seed money and you do this, then God will bless you in this way. Well, you know what? When you were dead and you were an enemy of him, God blessed you. There's nothing you're going to give to him that God's going to say, oh my goodness, now I need to bless you. He blesses because he's the blesser. That's just how it works. That's how he rolls. You don't need to devour others for your platform. You can give everything away so that other people have a platform. Right? We have everything we need. But these religious leaders, they were using God and others as a means for themselves. And you and I can be there too, can't we? That we look around a room and we say, who could I use for my benefit? Who could I devour for my benefit? And then when you don't need them anymore, you just... Get rid of them. They're disposable. But that's not how it's supposed to be in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus gives the opposite picture. In verse 42, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny, right? Like nothing. He called his his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing in the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You see, the difference between these two is that the religious leader devoured other people's property so that he could have a status. She devoured God and knew she had a status in him so she could give everything she had away. Just didn't matter to her anymore. She wasn't obsessed with God's stuff. She was obsessed with him. God had her heart. And that's what God desires. We have a book called The Treasure Principle, on the back table. If you haven't gotten one as you leave today, please take that as well. Take a Bible, take a treasure principle, because it talks about giving. And yeah, financial giving, but also everything else, because we give from our time, our talents, and our, our treasures. And the big idea of that book is when God gets your heart, 
you will become ridiculously generous in every area of your life. No longer will it become all about your RRSP or my me time, you know, my four nights out of the week that I need for me or my mani-pedis or whatever it is, right? Those aren't bad things. Um, my daughter still keeps trying to get me to do a mani-pedi. She says it like that. But I don't think that's going to work. I bite my fingernails. I don't think it's going to go very far. But imagine that this poor widow, imagine that she was the one renting that vineyard and the servant comes and says, hey, the master wants some fruit. What's that widow going to do? Jesus, take it all. Like, take it all. What do you want? What do you want from this vineyard? You can have it all. You want my kids? Take my kids, right? Not to just babysit, but like, take, they're, they're already yours, right? And that's a hard part of parenting too, for those of you who aren't parents. It's a struggle to remember that these kids aren't mine. Right, not just the inconvenient, like I don't know who those kids are, like find some place for them. But like they're not mine. Stewarding, investing, putting things in, but at the end of the day, they're ultimately his. But when when Jesus gets our heart, he gets everything else because we're not trying to fill our heart with his stuff anymore. Have you ever tried to fill your heart with possessions? Have you ever tried to fill your heart with Netflix? Have you ever tried to fill your heart with a relationship with someone else? You leave so disappointed, don't you? Every, I love reading books. I love them. And I just have to say, at the end of every single book I read, I'm disappointed. There's a little bit of disappointment. Because it's, it's either like, I thought that was going to do more for me, or I wish that kept going. And that disappointment leads me to a story that doesn't stop. In fact, it's, it's a true story. It's a, it's a real story. And that's what I want to end on today, is chapter 12, verses 18 to 27. The Sadducees, these were a group of leaders. They didn't believe in the resurrection at all. And they come with this long question. It's very awkward. Stephen already read it for us. But essentially, it was, hey, Jesus, in the resurrection, when that thing happens at the end of time, and just to be clear, no one believed in a resurrection in the middle of time. There was no group of people waiting for Jesus after he dies to rise from the dead. No one. That, that wasn't a belief. There were some Jewish people that believed in a resurrection at the end of time, but it was going to be like a culmination of everything. Okay? But the Sadducees, they didn't believe that. But they come to Jesus with this question, Hey, Jesus, resurrection happened. Imagine there was this woman who was married to this boy. He dies. She marries her brother. By the way, this is how things were supposed to happen. It's not just a weird thing that like, she was strangely attracted to the whole family of seven brothers. It was that brother, the next brother in line was supposed to take care of, of this wife and most married and they didn't just provide for them. And they carried on their brother's legacy through having offspring with them. Okay? So it wasn't weird at all. Um, but they come and they're like, okay, he dies and he dies and he dies and he dies and they all die. No kids were, were made. Jesus, here's the trick question. When the resurrection comes, whose husband is going to be the real husband, Jesus? You know, like leaning in for, we got you here. Jesus is like, you're all wrong. For those of us who think maybe like all religions lead to the same place, and like, oh, can't we all be in harmony together? Jesus says, his words, you are wrong. You are wrong. Your idea of what life is going to be like in the end is wrong. And for some of us, um, he says that very gently too. Right? You are wrong. To these guys, he was saying it very harshly. But to some of you who have different ideas of what life is going to be like, maybe Jesus is saying to you this morning, hey, you're wrong about that. And I love you so much and I want to tell you you're wrong so that you actually know what is right. But to these leaders, he says, you're, you're wrong. And I, I would say this is a huge case in missing the point. Right? You're, we're talking about the resurrection at the end of time, and you're focusing in on this one weird example. Right? It's like you get one question with Jesus, and that's your question? Sometimes I hear people call in to show, I listen to show them in the morning as I'm driving in off, often, and people will call in and be like, you know, can I listen to this, this song? And it's like, you could have asked us for anything. And it's like, yeah, could I have this song? I'm like, oh, you could have asked Siri for that. Why are you calling a radio station asking for that? Like, ask for front row tickets somewhere when that's a thing again. Like, why would you do that? But that's the question that they, that they said. And Jesus just says, you are, you are wrong. 
that there's not going to be marriage in the resurrection. That's a strange thing to process through for another time. But there's not going to be marriage. It's not going to be like, you know, I'm going to be waiting for Jess or she's going to be waiting for I and then Jesus is like, okay, say I do again and then forever you're together again. It's that no, there's a different type of relationship that happens from that point forward. That there, there's not going to be marriage in heaven. There's going to be one marriage between Jesus and his bride. And that's it. But the bigger thing is Jesus is saying, you're wrong. You're talking about a God of the dead. But I'm talking about a God of living. In verse 27, Jesus says, you, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. You are quite wrong. There is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. The God is a God of the living, not the dead. And life is going to keep going with him, specifically Jesus, because Jesus is alive. And so as we follow Jesus, we don't just follow Jesus in this life, we follow Jesus into eternal life. And I'll end, end-ish with Luke 24, verse 1 to 8. Listen to this. This is after Jesus rises from the dead. On the first day of the week, on a Sunday, early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Again, they didn't believe Jesus was rising from the dead either. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, listen to this, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. But he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. We don't follow Jesus so that we are good moral people. We're resurrection people. We're resurrection people that get to live with him forever, that Jesus leads us out of the grave and into this resurrection living, not later, but now. And the power of God is available now. The power of God is available now through His Spirit. But do we use it? Do we use the power of God that we have available to us? I find that sometimes we think of the power of God kind of like a, a Lamborghini being used for a ladder. Right? If, if one of you are like, oh, I need something to step on in my garage, I'm going to go ahead and drop 250 G's on a Lamborghini so that I have something to step on. It's like, that would be silly. Even more so, that's what we do with the power of God. The Spirit of God is living and is dwelling in us. He wants to change people's lives. He wants to um, forgive people. He wants to awaken people. And, and, and we just kind of chill with it. He wants to heal people. Someone wrote me this morning, one of my friends from Australia told me about what their wife is going through and they said, would you pray for healing? And I said, yes. And I prayed believing that Jesus in that moment could heal someone in Australia. Why? Because the power of God, that resurrection power is at work now. And Jesus has all authority over life and death. These leaders of that day were leading people into all this guilt and condemnation and put your head down and you suck at life, but if you follow us, then you could be a better person and maybe in the end God will care for you. Jesus says, don't follow them. I came to lay my life down for you on a cross. I got up out of the grave and I want to make you just like me. Follow me and I'm going to give you my spirit. And it's going to be not through you trying harder, but through my spirit changing you and freeing you and releasing you and giving you more of my power that you're going to be changed. So, in conclusion, what is Jesus leading us to? Where is Jesus leading us? He wants you to hear from Him. He wants you to hear from Him. Take time to sit quietly. I know this is the third time I brought up a hot tub. I'm sorry. But the other night, the other you see where my mind is going. Uh, the other night, I was reading a book, and, and I didn't finish the book, but I was reading about silent prayer at 1130 at night. And uh, Everyone else in my house was, was asleep. I shut the book, and I said, I'm going to go. I'm going to sit in the hot tub, Jesus, and you're going to be with me. I'll turn the jets on for you as well. And I am going to sit quietly, and I just want to hear from you. I just want to hear from you. We're invited into that. You don't need a hot tub to do that. 
right? You can do it on the metro. You can do it in your apartment. You can do it in the park. You can do it wherever. But take time to hear from Him. Don't have all your prayer being you speaking things. Yeah, speak, share. But He also already knows that stuff. Listen to Him. Jesus is leading us to hear from Him. Jesus is leading us to give our hearts to Him. Jesus is leading us to be a part of this forever family where we're not, we're not vying for possessions anymore, but we're saying, Jesus, you've given me those things. You've given them those things. Amazing. How do we both steward these for your kingdom? And how do we love others with these things? You see, because his love, the love of God always turns us toward others and away from our puny vision of I have to do it. I have to do it. His love leads us away from ourselves and to others and away from this this puny me and Jesus religion. If you're watching a live stream and you think sitting in your living room alone with Jesus is it, you're quite wrong. If you're um, here because you think, oh, I'm just doing my personal thing, I just happen to be in a crowd of people, but it's me and Jesus, you're quite wrong. That Jesus rescued us as a people. Individually, he brings us into this collection where now everyone in this room who's a follower of Jesus they have gifts, and their gifts belong to you. You now have a hot tub. Just ask me for permission, right, so that I can make sure the water's not too bad. But you have, you have a hot tub, and you have houses. Uh, there was a guy, a uh, single guy, who, um, he's a speaker. He said he's going to remain single the rest of his life. Um, he's speaking, and someone said to him at McGill one time, I heard him speaking, and they said, oh, it's so sad. We feel like you'd make a great dad. You'd be a great family guy. And he says, I have thousands. I have millions of people in my family. He says, I travel all over the world and every country I go, I have homes. I have brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and moms and dads. And I have money. Like, look out at my account, right? Like, I have so many resources. I have things you don't know about. Because the way that you look at life is just me getting this little piece. And Jesus says, I want to rescue you into something much larger. I want to rescue you into an all-encompassing, revolutionary, eternity-and-changing endeavor, which began with Jesus getting up out of the grave, and then it begins in your heart. How does his resurrection love now proceed from your heart toward others? So we're going we're gonna to respond to him this morning. And I want for you not to look at the things that maybe during the sermon you're like, oh yeah, I don't do these things. I want for you to look at him. I want you to stare at him and his sufficiency. I want for you to stare at him and the fact that I, it's so helpful visually even for me to think about a stone rolling away and this, this, the man, the God-man Jesus walking out of there. Right? What is the theme music happening? I don't know what theme music is going on in your mind, but it's this quiet entrance of life out of death. And it's the beginning of the death of death. Look at him now. And, and let him blind you from everything else. Don't try and figure it all out. Let him figure you out and speak to you about what he wants for you. Because you were, you were made for him. Following Jesus means that you get a resurrection, a real, literal, bodily resurrection one day with bodies that cannot catch COVID, with bodies that will not have side effects from the vaccine with bodies that will not be able to rebel against God, with bodies that won't be able to think an evil thought anymore, with bodies that won't be able to be stingy, with, with bodies that are only going to want to give themselves away for whatever God wants for us to do in the new creation. That's coming. And we know because Jesus gave his body to us. So we're going to take communion now. We're going to respond first by taking communion. I'll invite the music team to come up uh, now, because we'll respond to music in just a second. But I want you to open up this top layer. As you come in every Sunday, please grab uh, a little cup on your way in. This is for followers of Jesus as well. Uh, I want for you to take the top and open it up. You know what? Why don't you stand up? Why don't we stand up? I feel lonely standing this whole time all by myself. Open up that top layer. Take out this wafer. This represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. And, and I know this is a symbol, but there's real mystery with this as well. Right? Enter into this majestic thing that God has, has 
instituted for us, and we'll look at it in depth in, in a few weeks. The Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's table, all these different things. But this is a reminder of what Jesus has done. And so take this little wafer, which represents bo- Jesus' body broken for you, and eat it in remembrance of what he's done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you one day in the not-too-distant future. feels like a sci-fi thing right now. We're going to have one loaf of bread again. The way we used to do communion was we had one big loaf of bread. And people hygienically put a hand over a cloth, usually, on one side, and then pulled a piece off. And that so much better represents us enjoying communion together than little shots and little wafers. But this is what we have for today. So we're thankful. And then I want for you to open open this, this grape juice, which represents Jesus' blood that was shed for you. And you were so bad. You were so bad that Jesus had to die, but you were so loved that he was glad to die for you. And so this is what this represents. So take and drink in remembrance of Jesus shedding his blood for you. Jesus, thank you that you lived, died, and live again, and you will never taste death again. Thank you that that's our hope now. We pray that you would help our hearts to respond, raise affection for King Jesus in our heart as we respond. We love you. Amen. So stay standing. There's a few ways that we respond. We're going to have our kids come down, because I think kids help us know how to, how to respond well. They're, they're like little party animals everywhere. When they're screaming, just think of them as partying better than you are, okay? Um, don't scream back. But we're going to sing, which we're going to do in just a second. There's also a slide uh, up there probably about giving. If not, you can give church21.ca slash give, or there's a box in the back. Don't give to earn Jesus' love. Give because all your stuff is already his, and we get to give away so that his mission keeps moving forward in this city. If you've heard something that you're saying, ah, I really think this is from the Spirit, come talk to me. I would love to process that uh, through with you. We can talk during, during the singing. But now we're going to sing uh, with our hearts and, and mouths the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us.